It's a calling way to blame and hide the truth. I know that some will say matters a little, babe. Oh, but come on and mean it to me. I need it so bad. Welcome to Thinking Out Loud, episode six. And this is Jerry O'Neill. Well, there's been a lot of news going on the last two days, and I have barely had time to sit down and record it, given that I've become semi-addicted to following vote numbers and just the blast of stuff that's going on in the United States and even around the world. I, what I propose to do today is a quick roundup of the state of play in some of the states that have huge voting numbers. And we'll also dive into one or two stories that have broken over the last couple of weeks. I have reached out to three or four local or state level um, radio personalities and producers to come on the podcast in the next day or two as this election unfolds. It's becoming clear that the polls have tightened in the last two or three days. I think the average on Real Clear Politics has the race down to three, three and a half points, which is a huge narrowing of the margin in the last two weeks when Joe Biden had anything from an eight to a 10 point lead average. So what's changed, uh, what's moved the dial in Trump's direction, you might ask? I read a tweet today and it probably is as accurate and as good an explanation as anything and it says the polls are as fake as the news and it's hard to argue it it's hard to argue that that's not true given the massive shrinkage in biden's lead in the last two it's just as if the polling companies are trying to salvage their reputation and also we have at this moment in time a huge number of people that have already voted and uh, it is looking like that upwards of 90 million people have already voted. That's just a staggering number. And if you want to compare it with 2016, the early vote, a share of, well, the early voting accounted for 43 million people, give or take, in 2016. It's looking like it's going to break 100 million by election day. And that is just, you know, a phenomenal turnout. Everybody was expecting that turnouts of this level would be a disaster for Donald Trump. What we've seen, if we play out the early vote and mail-in balloting, is that it's a tale of two cities, really. The first half of early voting and the second half. of In the first half of, of early voting, predominantly was mail-in ballots. And obviously, the Democratic Party have chosen the route of encouraging supporters to mail in their vote. We've seen a huge flood of mail-in ballots returned. We're up to 58 million, nearly 59 million mail-in ballots have been returned of a total of 90 million mail-in ballots that have been sent out to people. Now, there are one or two states like Washington that have all mail-in ballots anyway, that that's how they run their, their elections. 
and I think Colorado is another state like that, is that you can return your mail-in ballots in person or you can... Now, it's taken then states 12 or 16 years to get a fair and not easily corruptible system in place. But there are many states where the election boards just mailed out ballots to everybody on the vote register without them requesting them. So the Republican Party have not been happy about this as their claim is this leaves those states wide open for voter fraud. We'll see if there is anything to those claims over the next week. Suffice to say at the moment, mail-in ballot uh, voting has proved hugely successful and popular and that as of now there are only 32 million mail-in ballots outstanding to be returned so it's unlikely that many of those will be returned at this stage given the proximity to the election and the danger of and the, and the danger of sending back a mail-in ballot that might arrive after the date you really are relying on the postmark of the mail-in ballot to be time stamped no later than the day of the election. So there's going to be a huge amount of controversy about this and scrutiny if this is a really tight election in some states, in particular states, and also if we see a flood of mail-in ballots coming in on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday of next week, Republicans are going to be crying foul because the trend of mail-in ballots for the last week in the states that have early in person voting has been to see them fall off quite dramatically um, from the beginning of the early vote period. So, you know, if if a state was having 50,000 mail-in ballots returned Thursday or Friday of last week, and suddenly on Monday or Tuesday of next week, there's 150,000 ballots being returned in those states, it's going to raise question marks and there will be massive fights over whether they should count. But We'll just have to wait and see on that. Just uh, a few of the overall statistics because of the flood of voting. Nationally, voters have cast 66.8% of the total votes counted in the 2016 general election. So over two-thirds of the United States electorate have voted um, on the number that appeared at the polls in 2016. The numbers in 2016 were somewhere in the region of 138 and 140 million. So two-thirds of that have already arrived at the polls this time round. That's, um, you know, it's a stunning figure, and it's particularly stunning if we dive into a couple of states. Texas, as I predicted, um, got past the 8.9 million voters that appeared in 2016, and they're at 107% of the 2018 vote. Florida, which is highly contested and we've gone through on previous podcasts, 86.6% of the electorate have already voted in comparison to 2018 vote. Uh, California, 72.4% of the electorate have uh, have voted in comparison to 2018. Washington State, which is, a, a, as far as I'm aware, is an all-mail-in ballot state anyway, is at 97.9% of the 2016 numbers. Now there are, there are about 15 states that have gone in heavy on mail-in voting, early voting, uh, and curiously enough, states like New York are not big, have not put in big mail-in ballot um, structures around this election. 
So if we look at New York, only 36.1% of the electorate have voted. So it's going to be a big game day vote in New York. Pennsylvania, only 38.4 million, 38.4% of the electorate have voted uh, up to today in comparison to 2016 election. And, you know, we go further south to North Carolina, which is a highly contested state. 91.1% of the electorate have voted vis-a-vis uh, -vis the 2016 turnout. So as you can see, states that put in a big structure around this election in terms of early voting and early voting comprises of mail-in ballots and in-person early voting uh, stations. They've seen the, the demand for this election or the appetite for this election shoot through the roof over the last two. And to that end, there's a surprise in Pennsylvania in that a huge, a huge effort was or drive was put, you know, marketed by the governor there for people to vote by mail. Now, let little over a third of people requested mail-in ballots. So it's a, it's a, it's a state of two halves really. You have the rural, western, northeastern part of the city or state. And you have the two big, two big urban areas that are Philadelphia and Pittsburgh, which are expected to be heavy Biden voting blocks. Both candidates have focused in on this state, zoned in on it. Trump has been there seven times in the last week. Yesterday, he had four campaign stops dotted around the state. And the Biden team have also had, um, you know, a good two anyway campaign stops in Pennsylvania. The Postmortem of this election, if Joe Biden win, loses, given the wind that was at his back, is going to focus around the fact that they treated this campaign like a online vote. Very, very little in-person campaigning, no rallies, and the visual of their campaign has been their being responsible in the face of the coronavirus. Anytime he does a, a press conference, you'll see these circles around uh, around each reporter's desk, you know, indicating that they're, they're two meters away from each other. And it's all very sterile, low energy, low turnout of supporters. And it is quite a bizarre sight to see if you're watching them on the television or YouTube. Trump, on the other hand, has campaigned like there's no coronavirus. The message has been positive. The crowds have been in their tens of thousands in most places that he's gone. And the signal is from the Trump campaigns that the coronavirus is something that they're beating. And the outlook for the United States is very positive. Whether you believe that or not is one thing. But in terms of following the two campaigns, the Trump campaign is definitely the one that is the most engaging in terms of the connection between the audience and their candidates and it gives the impression that trump has huge momentum behind him now looks can be deceiving however i would say that the momentum has the momentum to trump in the last two that i think genuinely has come off the back of the hunter biden laptop saga has turned the tide to a degree for trump and it's definitely given him hope that he can win. Trump was caught on a hot mic 
there early in the week where he was addressing campaign staff on a call and he more or less said that you know i think we're gonna i think we're gonna win now or i'm certain we're gonna win i wouldn't have been confident saying that three weeks so it gave a little insight into the thinking behind the bravado we'll say at the beginning of october where he was getting hit with his coronavirus response the economy the riots and protesting that are have never really fully been put out around the country and a massively hostile press was, you know, it looked like that this was going to be a an election that was he was going to lose big. The beauty of the early voting is, and because it's been so massive, is that we have been able to look at the turnout and the kind of get some polling around what they've how they voted and why they voted. And it seems from the polling data that Florida he's in a better state in twenty he's in a better place in twenty twenty than he was in twenty sixteen after early voting. North Carolina is similar. He's in a better state in North, in North Carolina after this week than he was in twenty sixteen. Texas where the Democrats had this as a purple state, and they're still come. They're still chiming about it, about them flipping Texas. Like if they flip Texas, that's it. The election's over because it has two electoral college votes. It takes the pressure off other states like per Michigan, Wisconsin, or Ohio, or even winning Florida. But any commentators that I follow do not see that Biden is going to win Texas. For sure, I think he has the gap down to four or five points based on based on people that are analysing the pollsters that are analysing the data honestly. Um, for you know their publications are saying it's maybe Trump wins on a huge turnout. Trump wins by four or five percent, and we're looking at at least two and a half million additional voters in Texas in two thousand and twenty, probably three million. And just at current guesstimates, people are putting the turnout for this election at 157 million as their floor. So that's a huge, you know, that's that's nearly 20 million additional voters. Most people would say a low turnout favours Trump more than it favours the Democrats. A higher turnout favours Joe Biden. Um, what we're seeing is that in states like Florida... That hasn't manifested itself as of yet. So we'll have to wait and see how that plays out. But it's certain if there was a Biden wave, a Biden blue wave coming in this election, we'd have seen it show up in the early voting. I can only assume we'd have seen it show up in the early voting. Now, of course, maybe there's 20% of all these Republicans that are so eager to vote for Joe Biden that the media tell us exist. That... They voted for Joe Biden and the early vote is masking them. Personally speaking, I don't think Republicans that vote for Joe Biden are going to be voting early and voting en masse because they're so upset with their candidates. I think they'll either not show up or they'll show up on the day. It's And if you look at the campaign stops that Trump has had in Tampa last week, the feeling on the ground is just not mirroring what the media and polls are telling us about the race they're just not 
and Politico even, you know, did a huge, a big article on Thursday where they pointed to the fact that Democrats, the Democrats in the state are in a panic to try and get supporters out to the polls. And this, you know, it's too little to, if that, if, if that's true, if that story is true, then they're in trouble because putting in an election ground game with only two or three days to go on the election is, you know, not going to happen. Most of Trump's money and campaign funds have been to install ground vote games in the states that he needs them the most. States like Florida, states like Pennsylvania, states like Wisconsin, Michigan. We have the sight of a senator from Michigan saying yesterday that, oh, she thinks Biden will probably win, but she had a big campaign rally with auto workers on Saturday and they basically told her they're all voting for Trump. And she admitted it on she admitted it in an interview on Fox News uh Saturday night. So it's you know the story about a Biden landslide is starting to have more holes in it than a spaghetti western. I, at the at the very least it's going to be a competitive uh, election and if it was if I was if I was to trend it anyway it would be that I'd be trending it heavy to Trump based on the fact he is expected to have a massive advantage on election day turnout over Joe Biden given he his strategy has always been for people to vote in person at the polls and it's quite revealing when the Democratic people are making up excuses in Florida already by saying we've been trying to tell them for two weeks we need a ground game down here in Miami or um, places like this on the Thursday before the election. It seems that in Miami Dade, which is one of the ma- is the massive one of the massive population center in Florida, there's a key demographic the Democratic Party did not factor in, and that are Cuban Americans, Venezuelans. They are voting for Trump huge numbers now. They're as a percentage of the population they're not in, uh, down there, they're not huge, but you're talking there is 90 to 100,000 people there, and they're voting like 75%, 25% in favor of Trump in a county that is a, a massive Democratic county. So it's having the effect of dampening down the advantage that Joe Biden needs to take out of this county to cover the massive leads Trump will have in the rural areas of central and northern Florida. Now maybe things come good on maybe things come good on the last days of the campaign, but what we're seeing at the moment that's not reflected in the early vote. And you know, I said earlier eighty eight something like eighty eight percent of people have voted vis a vis the final two thousand and eighteen turnout. <laughs> We would expect that the turnout is going to be massively over the 2018 turnout to 20. But, you know, at the most generous, of, you know, at, at, the, at my most generous, there's only two, at over two-thirds of Floridians have already. The number of votes that are out there are not huge. And the final point is it's expected that what's left is Trump, Trump, our Trump voters in the region of 60 to 40. So... The Democratic game plan for Florida was to have a 400,000 vote advantage going into Election Day. As of last night, that vote advantage was 96,000. 
And as I've said previously, in 2006, the Democrat vote advantage going into election day was 130,000 or 70,000 in that ballpark. So, and that, so basically, they had all their eggs in one basket with regard to the early vote. They weren't expecting such a high turnout of mail-in ballots by Republicans. It kind of shocked me that like over, well over one million, I got up the exact figures now, but um, at least one million, 1.5, the exact numbers here now. Where is Florida? Here we go. So if we look at mail ballot returns in Florida, 1.3 million, 1.4 million Republicans have returned mail-in ballots compared to 2 million Democrats. Democrats would have been hoping to have a 2 to 1 advantage given the strategy. But what we really need to be focused on is the percentage of Republicans and Democrats who requested a mail-in ballot and then subsequently have it returned. So we can see there 76% of Democrats requested a mail-in ballot and have returned it. 74.6% of Republicans requested a mail-in ballot and have returned it. Now, that's a, while it's slightly below the Democrat return rate, it's much higher a return rate than people were expecting because I think a lot of people expected, you know, Republicans to request a mail-in ballot but maybe show up the polls or maybe not return it and subsequently not vote. It's quite clear that they have, and because they have, they have kept that advantage at about 600,000 uh, between Democrats and Republicans and where the Republicans have made huge inroads is that they currently have a 530 person advantage in the in-person voting so 40 percent of, of the 3.8 million people that have voted voted in person in Florida 46 percent of them are, have been Republicans and 32 percent of them have been Democrats so Democrats are very, this is the number that Democrats are terrified about. It's been getting wider and wider as each day we get closer to the election. So even at this moment in time, uh, a gambling man would take, even if you could guarantee that, if you could guarantee the Democrats today that the election day vote would be split 50-50, they'd still probably lose. By all accounts, Trump's voters are coming out on election day, so it's likely to be 60-40 in his favour, or 55-45 in his favour. It's expected to be very heavily in his favour. For at this moment in time, if that turns out to be anywhere close to the truth, Biden's not going to win Florida. And let me tell you, they've spent millions, tens of millions. Mike Bloomberg has spent $100 million on his own supporting candidates and the presidential race just in Florida. This was one, If you, it's interesting to note the change in language of reporters as we draw closer to the end of. Florida was a state they were very bullish about needing to win. You know, this is one of the states we have to win. We're gonna win it, like, because they were whatever ahead in a lot of polls and they've invested so much money down here. <coughs> now, the language is, Florida isn't necessary. There's a path to victory without Florida. We don't need it. Florida was a nice to have, but we don't need it because we're going to win Pennsylvania. We're going to win Michigan. We're going to win Wisconsin. We're going to take back. We're going to, you know, we're going to be competitive in Texas. So I don't buy this. Um, Ohio is a state they haven't really visited throughout the campaign at the campaign level because they've given up on it. Um, 
Trump has at least a four to even in the latest polls, Trump is polling at two or three points above Biden, and the early voting suggests that this is Biden isn't within eight points of Trump on the early vote. So those are the, those two states were the pillar of President Trump's re-election. So if there was massive weakness in either of those two states this week, most media commentators would be call would be calling the presidency and saying it's, it's a landslide win for Biden. Nobody's doing that. A lot of media sources they're still pumping out some of these polls that are ridiculous. There was one poll last week that showed Biden with a seventeen point advantage in Wisconsin, and it's just not you know it's pure nonsense. He's not whatever happens in Wisconsin. He's not losing it by seventeen points, and certainly. The early voting in Wisconsin and Michigan is, at the moment, very competitive for Trump. They're not saying too much about it. He has spent a lot of time in Michigan and Wisconsin in the last week of the campaign. And it's very interesting to see where campaigns go the last week of a campaign. Trump has zoned in on Pennsylvania, and that has been his number one campaign stop. He really needs to win that state. And if he does, he's going to be president. In my opinion, the other two states that he's really focused in on have been Michigan, Wisconsin, and Minnesota. Now, Minnesota is a state he lost narrowly in the last election. He seems to think he has a, a chance of winning it this time around, and he's been there at least twice in the last two weeks of the campaign to large crowds. The first time, the governor of Minnesota tried to shut down his his campaign stop there this week and reduce it to. 250 because of the coronavirus but there were thousands and thousands of people outside the campaign rally and in effect they did they gave them free press in terms of it just showed that last minute change to the rules of allowing people to gather at an airport hangar just turned out as further evidence for any trump supporters that you know the apparatus of government are trying to stop his momentum so that's a an early roundup of kind of the broader picture and some of the states that we'll be taking a very close interest in over the next two or three days um the subject i want to briefly speak about is what to how to watch the u.s election night coverage the crew on war room pandemic are doing a live stream the night of the election. Anyone familiar with the podcast will know that Steve Bannon, Raheem Kassam, and Jack Maxey, and they'll have a load of populists of varying persuasions on the podcast during the night. They have data analysts. They'll have political figures. You could probably expect the likes of Matt Gates and one or two other House uh, members to appear during the night. And how they'll approach it, I would say, is one of the reasons I like their podcast is that they're hyper-focused on what the Democratic-leaning media outlets are reporting. And from the point of view of analyzing the enemy in terms of the way they're thinking and to see if it holds up with their with their own calculations and their own analysis. So I kind of quite like that idea of not dismissing what the opposition are doing, but to examine it in detail and to see at a granular level, is it true or is it false? Now, 
make no mistake, they're high, highly partisan, so they'll be uh, expecting, I'd be expecting plenty of support for the Trump position and, you know, plenty of kind of cheerleading for the Trump position. But given that, broadly speaking, I'd like to see Trump re-elected, um, that's no problem for me. They have a data analyst on that podcast for the last couple of weeks. Um, Barris is his name. I forget his first name, but his Twitter account is at peoples underscore pundit. And it's been excellent analysis. So the the last point I want to make is I'm going to try and have um, a number of local or state level media people um, on the podcast to interview over the next week or 10 days. I think this election result may not be known for quite a while, given how closely it seems to be fought at the moment in the background states. And to that end, I'm going to be I've reached out to a number of local or state level media people to get their take on what's going on, on the ground in some of these battleground states and their reaction to the election results as they're unfolding and just to get a kind of detailed analysis of what's going on because I think um, information that's accurate is going to be one of the first casualties of this election season as we proceed on from here it's been terrible up to this point and i can only see it deteriorating further in the days ahead so i'll leave it at that that's my pre-election analysis uh, uh for the 2020 presidential campaign i'd invite anybody to follow me on twitter at at vox deplorables v-o-x-d-e-p-l-o-r-a-b-l-e-s on twitter And you can find the podcast on all the major podcasting platforms, uh, Thinking Out Loud. Just do a quick search. Or you can reach me on Parler as well. And the same username is at Vox Deplorables, where I post all my written and podcasting content. So thanks for listening and enjoy the rest of the day.